Welcome to this week's MicroConf Refresh episode of MicroConf On Air. As a reminder, MicroConf Refresh is where we look back at a handful of the best talks of all time given from the MicroConf main stage. And this week, we have a really good talk from Chris Savage, co-founder of Wistia. This is the fifth and final installment of our Founder Story series, where we're looking at founders telling their stories of growing their companies. So there are a lot of different talk formats at MicroConf. Sometimes it's a founder story. Sometimes it's a super tactical talk from a founder. Sometimes it's a tactical talk from a subject matter expert. And there are attendee talks. There are other things. But we've really focused on some of the best founder stories of all time. And today's talk, I think you're going to enjoy, it's from MicroConf Growth 2019. And this talk is from Chris. Savage, co-founder of Wistia. It's titled, How an Offer to Sell Wistia Inspired Us to Take on $17 Million in Debt. And the abstract for the talk is, most founders dream of building a product that eventually becomes a household name and sells for a billion dollars. But chasing that goal comes with some downsides. We chose a different path. As a reminder, you can always click through in the show notes to view the YouTube version of this that has all the visuals. And you can see Chris chatting up on that microconf stage in Las Vegas. If you enjoy this talk or if you're enjoying this series, please join us on YouTube, youtube.com slash microconf, hit subscribe, and tweet us at microconf, hashtag microconf, however you want to do it, just to thank producer Xander and the microconf team for pulling this all together because it is obviously, it's a lot of work to put on microconfs, but then, you know, even to to get the videos and get them up on YouTube and then get the audio extracted and, and get it into this podcast. And, and we really want to know that people are listening. So let us know if you're listening by hitting us up on Twitter. And I hope you enjoyed today's microconf refresh talk from Chris Savage. Um, so today I'm going to be telling you a little bit of a story about how we had an offer to sell Wistia and instead turned that down and took on $17 million in debt. For people who don't know what Wistia is, it's a video platform that helps marketers customize the experience of video on your website, understand how people are watching it, integrate onto all your other marketing. Um, and we also have a product called Soapbox that helps you make videos that look professional really easily. So I think in our society, there is this idea of this mythical founding path. Um, and when I think about this, this is what when you tell someone you're starting a company, it's usually the first thing they think of. They're like, okay, so you're gonna try to build a company that has a, house, a product that's a household name, and then your goal is gonna be to sell it for hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars and end up like Tony Stark. You're gonna shape the world, we're gonna change the world. Um, and that's, this is just a path. It's a, it's a, I call it a mythical one because I think that most companies don't fit on this path. Um, and today I'm going to be telling you a little bit of, about how we found a different path to go down. Uh, I think it's a path that many of you can go down um, and why we actually raised um, $17 million of debt to buy out our investors, give our employees liquidity, and set up Wistia for the long term. So like most stories, ours starts at the beginning. This is uh, my co-founder, Brendan, and I. Um, we were very, very excited to be starting a company, and um, <laughs> we were pretty sure we were going to get rich in six months. And so our goal was we wanted to start, sell, and retire by 23. Um, we thought that we could be like Tony Stark, um, and these are actual photos taken. Uh, we were both at a, a wedding right before we started the company, and we're like, this, you know, this thing is going to work, so we should probably... We should have some photos ready for Entrepreneur Magazine. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is what you end up with. And uh, these guys are idiots. 
so it turns out that six months went by, we we're still doing Wistia. A year went by, we we're still doing Wistia. And actually, we had not sold the company. Um, it was not glamorous. We were working in a 10-person house in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where we still are today. And this is our office, which is Brennan's bedroom. Um, and we were, you know, traction was a lot slower than we thought, but it was really fun. It turned out it was fun every day to try to just solve problems creatively. It was fun to try to get our first customers. It was fun to do our first demos. Like, everything was really hard, but um, it was really fun. And I didn't expect that. Brennan didn't expect that. But it let us keep working. And so we worked in this house for two years, got to having about 10 paying customers. And we felt like we were onto something, because a lot of these customers were big names. So um, PBS was a customer. Cirque du Soleil was a customer. Nestle was a customer. We were talking to HBO about using what we were building. And we were really excited, but we thought we needed more help. So um, we decided we would try to raise some angel money. And we thought if we raise a little bit of angel money, then we can hire some more folks to join us. And maybe we can take a little bit more advantage of the opportunities sitting in front of us. So we did raise some angel money. We raised $650,000. And we hired Ben and Adam. And we did the things that you do when you get an angel round, or what we thought you should do. So we got an office. We got brand new computers. <laughs> we got a brand new monitor. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we started paying ourselves, and we started paying Ben and Adam. And this was all really exciting. And I would go to a meetup, and people would say, how are things? I'd say, we just raised 650000 super awesome, just got an office. They would say, congrats. Now, a little bit behind the scenes, it was challenging, too. Um, but OK, but right before we raised this money, we were putting $1,000 into our bank account every month. And once you get an office to start paying people, you're not, you're not making money anymore. So we were losing $30,000. Uh, a month. And that was stressful. And so what we decided to do was keep this, the team really small and just try to figure out the stuff you need to figure out. So we stayed as four people. We updated our website, pretty cool website. Um, got an 800 number on there. Um, and we started experimenting with how to sell and how to market and what our business model should be. Um, and we finally started to gain some traction. And so we had a moment where this is now like, this is about three and a half years into building the business for context. We went from 30 customers to 200 customers in two months. And we were really pumped about that, and that was really exciting. But we were still losing money. <laughs> and so we were going to run out of money. Um, literally, we weren't going to make payroll. So we went back to our angel investors, said, we got good news and bad news. Bad news is <laughs> we're going to run out of money. Good news is. We think we found traction. And they, for some reason, believed us. Um, and we raised another $775,000, kept the team at four people, <laughs> and worked to um, get back to cash flow positive. And so it took a little patience, but we were able to do it. And we became profitable, which was very exciting. And thank you. Yes, round of applause for profitability, right? We're a microconf. Um, so we became profitable, and that felt really good. And it felt different to be profitable while we were paying ourselves versus being profitable while we were in our uh, bedroom. And looking back, this was the beginning of a new moment for us. So this is when we started taking more creative risks. 
And I didn't really realize it at the time, but it's very, very, very clear to me now, looking back, that it did change how we were thinking about the work. So one of the first things we wanted to do was we started, we wanted to invest in content marketing. And we wanted to do bigger content marketing. Um, this is an example of one of the first things we did. It was a video shot on an iPhone, um, audio was recorded on an iPhone, lit with an iPhone to prove that you could make a video with an iPhone. And we're really excited about this. And one of the reasons we're excited about it is because we're profitable, we didn't have to justify it to anybody. We didn't have to have any short-term justifications for why to do this. People would ask us these questions at meetups. People would ask these questions in support. We just thought, we'll make this content, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with our, um, with our video platform. So we started to invest in this, and we kept investing. And probably over a course of two years, we spent over $100,000. Well, I know that we did this. We spent over $100,000 in people time making content. And we built a lot of content. We built a library of content. We started writing blog posts every week. We started making videos every week. And the funny thing was, we could not track the conversion from people seeing content to people buying. It was almost impossible to see. But we had a lot of really good qualitative feedback. So people were commenting on all the content. They were sharing it on social. They were mentioning it when they were writing into support. They were mentioning it when they were becoming a customer. They're saying, I really, you know, I love that video you did about shooting for the edit. That was super great. Now can I buy a plan? We're like, yeah, that sounds great. But it was always this qualitative feedback. Um, and we felt like they wanted more. But we also started to feel confident. Like, even though we can't see this connection, we really think it's working. And we started to build profitable confidence. And we started to trust our instincts more on things that made sense over the long term that would be really hard to justify in the short term. So one of the first things we started doing was doing company retreats. So we'd take the whole company twice a year, and we'd bring them to a place. And we just spent time together, no agenda. And we're, at this time, completely in-person company doing <laughs> company retreats. So it seemed a little silly. Like People on the team would be like, why are we going? I mean, I want to go skiing, but why? Why are we doing this? We're like, to create connections. I'm like, that's craziness. But um, it, I think it really worked. We started going bigger in the content itself. So we started hiring. Um, this is an example. We brought in a confetti cannon just to add a little oomph to one of the, the videos we're putting out there. We booked out a roller rink. Um, and trying to get like a 70s style theme video done, like really on point. And actually at one point, we closed down a city street and put on a parade to launch new pricing plans. <laughs> okay. So we built up some confidence. And it felt good, because in all of these cases, we didn't have to justify it to anybody. We were just doing it because we enjoyed it. Um, we thought people would like it. We thought it would help our brand. But it was always almost impossible to track it back. And then we even built things in the product that we had a lot of confidence in. This is an example of a feature that's core to Wistia called Customize, where you can change the look and feel of the player. You can add interactivity. And when you change it in the product, it changes every embed glo globally, like wherever you put the video. Didn't used to work like that. Nobody asked for this. <laughs> um, but we really believed that this could be the foundation of our future. And so we spent over a year um, doing this. And it ended up working, and it's foundational to what we do today. Um, and it was funny, because at first it was nerve-wracking to operate on our gut instincts, but then we got more and more comfortable and more and more confident. Um, and that's actually what makes the next part of the story pretty embarrassing. <laughs> um, and that is when we started to 
overscale the business. So I think there's this thing, I'll call it growth FOMO, um, and it can affect many of us. Um, and let me set a little context for where Wistia was when we really started to get growth FOMO. So we had about 10 million in revenue, we had a few million in profit, and I was feeling pretty good, pretty small team, feeling pretty efficient. Um, but I would talk to people, and I would go to a startup event, talk to people, and they'd be like, oh, wow, that's cool, a few million profit. 10 million, you're growing pretty fast. Like, what if you weren't profitable? Would you be growing faster? Would you be bigger? Would you be like Tony Stark? Like, is this, is this one of those examples where you actually, you could build a unique business and you're gonna build a billion dollar company? And it's funny how this was from everybody. This was not just people in startup land. This was like my parents. Like I talked to my dad, who's an angel investor in Wistia, and I'm like, dad, we're doing really great. We have 10 million in revenue, we have a few million in profit. He's like, oh, wow. Do you think you're gonna go to VCs now? That would be cool. That would be a sign of success, basically. And I think there's this societal thing that encourages you to think like, yeah, maybe I should be like Tony Stark and I'm gonna get the Tony Stark house and I'm gonna get the Jarvis and goddamn it, I'm gonna have the Iron Man suit at the end of this thing, right? I'm gonna build that unique business. And eventually through enough social pressure and enough belief, enough FOMO, we actually decided we were gonna put revenue growth above profit. And um, so we, we started to change how we operated. So we had been a really small team. Everything was scrappy. There was not a lot of structure. Um, we had 25 people when we made this decision. And we were able to afford, by putting all of our profit back into growth, we grew the business from 25 people to 50 people in one year. And then the next year, we grew from 50 people to 80. <laughs> um, and we pushed the business really hard. And um, we basically went to running at a loss and burning into all of our cash reserves in search of more revenue growth, right? And if you're not really sure what you want to be when you grow up, this is one of those options you think maybe it is about revenue growth. Maybe it is about valuation. Maybe that's what I should optimize for. And that's what we were thinking when we were making these decisions. And do you want to guess what happened? It all broke. Um, everything broke. So um, the one of the thing, things that was, was we first started doing was like, all right, we should start spending more money on advertising. We should hire faster. We have more projects we want to do because there's more people we've hired. So someone new would say, I have an idea for a new project. I think it's going to be really great. You hear the idea? Sounds pretty great. What do you need to do it? Three people. Cool. Great. Hire them. We're hiring a lot of people. So they hire three people and they go start to work on a new project, which might be a good idea. But you're not, when you're doing that, you're not actually asking like, is this new project better than a current one? Is there something we should stop doing to start doing this new thing? Or is there something that we're doing that's way better that we should do more of and we shouldn't do the new thing? None of these questions were being asked. Um, we started operating at a loss. And first it was losing $50,000 a month. And then it was losing $100,000 a month. And then it, we got up to a peak of losing $300,000 a month. Now, we were very fortunate because we had the cash reserves and we, had, we were able to fund this ourselves, um, but it was scary. And one of the things that happens when you do that is every project you have, doesn't matter how long-term focused it is, it all becomes about the short term. So we had projects and people would say, all right, we've got this idea for a new product. It's really exciting. 
or we could put our effort into conversion optimization. What do you think would win? Every time, conversion optimization. Every time. Because you would think, like, new project's a risk, but if we get a little bit more out of, what's, of what people are signing up for today, that's going to be way better for the business. And it creates this stress because what starts happening is when you're losing that much money, even if you do greenlight a long-term project, you launch it, and then instantly everyone's thinking, I really hope this pays off by next month, we're going to lose more in the next month. Um, we started to have key employees get really stressed and then leave. Not great. <laughs> um, and as they left, that compounded the stress um, that the company was feeling. And so we couldn't take creative risks anymore. We we're not long-term focused. We we're short-term focused. And try as we might, even though we knew we had been profitable and we had had this like, profitable confidence, we couldn't get ourselves to make those calls that we wanted to make. And so we'd overscaled. That's how I would term this. Uh, and this counterintuitive thing was happening, which was we were taking more financial risk, but it actually meant we were taking shorter-term risks and we couldn't take the same creative risks we used to take. And it's not to say we weren't doing creative things. Like, I'm someone who's incredibly motivated by creativity and finding creative solutions to problems. We're just channeling all of our creative energy into things that were designed explicitly for financial gain as opposed to things that were designed explicitly for customer delight or for product experiences or for marketing experiences. And so throughout all of this, our revenue growth did not increase. It just stayed the same. It stayed the same. That's kind of crazy. And so we lost confidence. We lost the profitable confidence but we started to lose confidence in ourselves at the same time. So at this moment, um, let me set the scene. Brenda and I, not really talking about the lack of confidence, trying our might to put on a happy face for the team, saying all this like growth at any cost stuff, it's going to work. It's going to pay off. Um, and we got an offer to sell the company. And um, I'm sure many of you have gotten offers. And if not, you'll get them. Um, but over the years, people had often approached us about buying Wistia or investing in Wistia or an investor was going to take the whole thing and flip it or a private equity deal or something. And all, every time those offers would come in, we'd say, thanks for no thanks. Like, we're having fun. We love what we're doing. We don't want to sell. Um, but this offer was different. And it was from a company. It was a few companies at once, actually, but the one that we got the farthest with it was a company I really like the people that are there, really smart business. They were going to give us like, all this opportunity. They sold this great story. And we were so stressed that we felt like, ah, oh, maybe this is our get-out-of-jail-free card. Maybe we can sell the business, and then we won't have to worry about all these problems that we've created for ourselves and all this stress that we've created for ourselves. And Brendan and I were going back and forth on this. So I would wake up one day, and we'd meet up, and I'd be like, all right, man, let's just sell it. We'll do our time, then we'll go start an incubator, and we'll start some angel fund, and we'll do this other thing. And he'd be like, no, what about the team? What about the work we want to do? Blah, 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 blah. And then the next day, we'd get up, and he'd be like, you convinced me we should sell. I'd be like, you convinced me we shouldn't sell. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just absolutely constant back and forth. And then we had a realization. And the realization was, if we sold the business, that would kind of be like, Maybe we're, you know, we could go get a house. And maybe we could go get a little AI system. And maybe we could go get the fucking Iron Man suit. 
And we realized this was the end of the path. This was the end of that like mythical path that we thought in the first place that this idiot thought we were going to get out in the first place, right? Like the path looks like you sell your company for hundreds of millions of dollars and everyone says it's a success. But for us, this did not feel like success. Um, it felt like failure. It felt like the opposite of what we wanted to do. And we started realizing, okay, if we don't sell, what can we do? We're like, well, if we don't sell, could we go back and fix Wistia? Could we go back and get ourselves back to being profitable? And maybe we never want to sell. Maybe we just love the, doing this too much. Like maybe we love the journey. We love taking creative risks. We love working with people that inspire us every day. We love building things for our customers. And we realize that. And I feel very fortunate we realize that. And so we decided to double down. We decided to double down on the business and taking the risk to start the company in the first place, one of the greatest decisions we'd ever made. And we thought, you know what? Let's just do it again. Let's just go back and fix this thing. And now we made this decision. And at this point, up until this moment, there'd been a ton of stress, years of stress. Um, and the funny thing was, we had gone from sleepless nights about what to do with the company to instantly, even though we were still at this exact moment, losing money, hiring quickly, doing conversion optimization, doing all these other things, um, we instantly just started sleeping super well. I was like, oh yeah, I got, this is what we need to do. This is where we're going. Um, but saying no meant there was instant misalignment with most of the other stakeholders in Wistia. So if we weren't gonna sell the business, we'd have to provide a return to our investors, like those angel investors that took a bet on us who really did help us, but they want us to sell. We're one of the best investments they've done. Like, why wouldn't you want them to sell? You invest in something to get money back. Um, we wanted to provide a return for employees. We'd been giving everybody in the company options, and especially early employees. We'd given them a lot of options. Um, and we told them, we're going to pay you less cash. We're going to give you options. And if we're not going to sell the business, what are those options worth? And then we felt like we needed to find a replacement for stock options. So we wanted to find a new incentive structure that we could give current employees and future employees that would be, have them be aligned with the business. So what we settled on doing was a stock buyback funded with debt. So what this means is we would pick a valuation of the business, we'd give every single shareholder the same offer. So all of our investors um, and all of the current employees who have options and the former employees who exercise their options. And we said, this is the valuation, these are the terms, they're same for everybody. You can sell if you want, but you don't have to sell. And then we were gonna fund it with debt uh, because we didn't have the cash, because we've been running at a loss. Um, so we'd eaten up our cash reserves. Um, and with this plan, like my ownership and Brendan's ownership would go way up in the business. We'd end up with total control. And then another piece of it was that we wanted to do one deal and be done. So we wanted to totally realign with our angel investors. So our angel investors had something that's called preferred shares, which means that outside of their actual ownership in the company, like their percentage ownership, they had other rights. So they had the right to block a sale. They had the right to block us raising money. They had a bunch of other rights. And we felt like if we're not going to sell the business, we're, we're doing this for the long term, they should know what they're signing up for. And so as a part of the deal, we actually told them, if you want to participate, we're going to take your preferred shares and you have to vote to convert to common same types of shares as Brendan and I. And if you stay in, you'll be aligned with us. 
and we'll, you'll make money in the same way as us, and if you sell, totally fine. So we gave everybody that offer. Um, you have like 30 days. I couldn't say anything, like hiding from the office was the advice I got because you can't influence anyone's decision. And then we ended up raising $17.3 million in debt um, in November 2017 to do this deal and got back to work of making the company more profitable, taking the risks we want to take, um, and getting the business more aligned. And I'm proud to say it's working. Um, it was a big risk, but it is, it is working. I want to tell you how it's working. Didn't expect this one. Uh, so we, we, you know, we just, when we pulled back and we said, all right, let's look at all the projects we're doing. Let's make sure that we have the right people here who want to be here. We're focused. Everything is about like top goal is profitability. We have to get profitable so we can service the debt. That's going to force the right constraints for us so we can make the right decisions we want to make. And what it also did is it forced us to focus. And so as a company, we got really laser focused on the things that we're really good at doing. Great irony of ironies, without trying to grow revenue faster, we grew revenue faster, um, which was a kind of mind-boggling, back to where we were in the early days. Um, and then we started to do more creative things in our marketing and product. So this is a small example probably none of you have seen. I'm really proud of it. If you see a Wistia video um, and you right-click on it, it says About Wistia, you go to this page. And we have an album called Songs About Wistia <laughs> that you can buy on cassette and CD. Um, and uh, it's like one of those little silly moments that we made thinking that like, we'll never really be able to measure the brand touch of this, but we believed in it. And someone's had the idea, maybe we should make a video thumbnail so that people really don't miss that the cassettes are in this thing. So we ended up doing that with now a feature in, in Wistia, which is amazing also. Um, we recently launched a product called Channels um, as a part of Wistia where you can make a Netflix-like experience of videos on your website. Um, we did this to scratch our own itch. We thought it would be a great idea. We focused all on user experience and usability, um, tried to make something really delightful, tried to take risks in that way. Um, I'm super proud of that. And then last year, we did a huge project called 110100. Um, and this is something we never could have done, ever, 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 when we were running at a loss. Uh, but basically, we, we made a documentary, four-part documentary series. So we gave $111,000 to a production company in LA called Sandwich Video, and we had them make three different ads for us um, for our product soapbox. One with a $1,000 budget, one with a $10,000 budget, and one with a $100,000 budget. And then we actually went and documented the behind the scenes of how they work. And so how they make creative decisions and how budgets affect creativity, the relationship between and money and creativity. Um, and we ended up with something that's an hour and 42 minutes long. Um, you can watch all four parts on our site, or you can watch on Amazon Prime. And as a part of this campaign, people kept telling me, like, how do you know if this is going to work? Like, how will you measure this? And I said, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it's okay. We're profitable, and we have our profitable confidence back. So if it doesn't work, that's fine. And if it works, that's amazing. And if it works over the long term, which we really thought it would, that would be fantastic. Um, and this has been one of the greatest marketing things we've ever done, because I think we actually delivered a ton of value to customers. Um, people spend an enormous amount of time with the brand. Um, I'm super proud of this project. I don't think we ever could have done it otherwise. And then profit is way up. So 
Um, in 2017, we had negative EBITDA of half a million. Um, we started to turn things around in 2017. And then last year, we had EBITDA of six million. Um, so huge shift. And um, something I'm really proud of, it means that the debt is not that risky anymore because there's all these covenants that you have to manage with debt. And we were so, became so profitable that we were able to like, put ourselves far away from those covenants. And we actually got so far away from those covenants so quickly by just focusing on profitable confidence that we were actually able to refinance our debt. And so we dropped the interest rate in half, um, paying less a month than we were <laughs> last year um, and paying it off way faster. And so it's, now it's just like a normal financial instrument sitting there that's encouraged us to be really profitable. Um, so I think my, my message here it is, you know, we had, um, we had some instincts around being profitable, and th but they were turned to conviction through failure. And it was hard. Um, it was not fun to lose key people. It was not fun to see projects that we were not proud of. Um, and the, we found this other path, which is just this idea of like, you try to build a lasting company. And in my case, I optimized for letting me do creative work, working with people I care about, and by being like focused on the long term, we get to put our customer experience ahead of revenue growth. We get to put our employee experience ahead of revenue growth. We get to put our culture ahead of revenue growth. We get to put our community ahead of revenue growth. And those are often the things that you need to do to actually grow a company. Um, so my parting message is, my story is my story. Some people are going to want to try to do that mythical founding thing. You all are going to have a different story. And we're here at this conference to get advice. Just try to figure out what suit you actually want to wear. Like, do you want to wear the Iron Man suit? Do you want to wear this suit? Do you want to wear your own suit? Just, just please, please, please pay attention to that. I think building a company is a very, we're all fortunate that we get to do this and privileged that we get to do this. And you can, you can create freedom through building a company. Um, if it's, if you can, if, I think if you can optimize for the things that you really care about and the people that you care about working with. Thank you again for joining us for this episode. I hope you enjoyed that talk. It is one I've watched several times and I, I really enjoy the story. I think the, the story of growing Wistia and then taking on that debt is, is incredible. So, and with that, we'll wrap this episode and I look forward to being in your earbuds in just a couple days with the Wednesday's MicroConf on-air live stream. We'll go live Thursday morning and I hope you'll stick around for that. Talk to you soon.